to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Hey Darby, happy Earth Week. Happy Earth Week. I'm glad we roped you in to find a couple few minutes this week to record our intro on our podcast. You've been quite busy. Yes. So without getting into too much detail, our listeners probably know that we um, shared the story of the Point Reyes ranchers, especially um, our member and friend Jolyn McClellan last week on our podcast. They had their big Coastal Commission hearing yesterday for Earth Day. Um, it was all kinds of fun, Darby. It was 12 <laughs> hours long. It began at 9 a.m. and ended at 9.07 p.m. And I was on for the majority of the day. I took off in the evening for about two hours to grab some dinner and was unpleasantly surprised to see that it was still going when I came back. But um, it, it turned out that they, um, the Coastal Commission passed concurrence with the Parks General Plan Amendment, which eventually will help grant ranchers longer term leases, we believe, but they came with a lot of conditions and more frustrating than the conditions were the discussion. Um, the public comment was very negative towards um, farming and animal agriculture in general. And even the commissioners um, deliberations were a little rough to hear because their staff had prepared a really good report that was full of facts. The National Park Service did the same. And while staff and National Park Service staff uh, kept coming in with corrections and comments clarifying um, different topics. The commissioners really put a lot of emphasis and took a lot of influence, I think, from the public comment, which that wasn't necessarily always correct or factual information. So long story even longer. Um, we're glad <laughs> to be done with that. Um, and because we were so, I was so busy preparing for that, and you've been working on a lot of labor stuff this week, Darby, we kind of... Um, are resharing something. We think it's a good share. It's an interview we did last summer with Dr. Mitt Lohner from UC Davis's Clear Center. But in honor of Earth Week, we thought it would be um, Earth Week and our busy week. We thought it would be an appropriate time to reshare that for the bulk of our podcast. So aside from the market update, uh, you, you also got to sit down with Devin today. So that'll be a great uh, message for our members as well. Yeah, a great intro right into our, our Earth Week reshare with Dr. Mitt Lohner. Perfect. Well, without further ado, we'll jump into it with Tiffany and uh, the rest of the crew. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. We had a busy couple of days in the dairy markets. Um, Tuesday, we had a global dairy trade event. Wednesday, we got the milk production report. And Thursday, we got the cold storage report. Starting with a milk production report uh, for March, we had another pretty strong showing of output. U.S. was up 1.8%. California landed up uh, 1.5%. Uh, probably more um, compelling was that the uh, milking herd grew again, expanding uh, for the ninth consecutive month, um, up, up 77,000 head year over year. And we now are at the highest um, number in more than uh, 30 years. And uh, so far, livestock slaughter uh, figures are running light as well. So we may see another month or so of this uh, in the reports to come. We also got the cold surge report. Um, and probably not a lot of surprise there on, on cheese. The data supported what we had been hearing. Um, there seems to be plenty of cheese around. Total uh, cheese stocks were up about 7% year over year. 
Um, inventories ran, uh, I'm sorry, rose about 30 million pounds from month to month. That beat the average rate of uh, normal increase of 16.3 million pounds. Overall, the cheese market kind of shrugged off most of the reports, though. Blocks um, had a little bit of a turbulent week, some ups and downs, but ended the week up uh, to 179.25. That was up a penny and a quarter. Barrels had even a bigger or stronger showing up to 180.50, up 11.5 cents. Note that barrels are above blocks for the first time in a really long time. So will be interesting to see if the inversion continues into next week. Moving over to butter, the cold storage um, report there was a little bit more bullish. Um, we actually held steady uh, on inventories for the month. We, we are still up 14.5% uh, over prior year levels, so still well supplied, uh, but tight cream supplies, uh, good export activity during the month, and what we are hearing is pretty healthy retail and food service demand seemed to cut into that uh, butter inventory growth month to month. Uh, from February, uh, January to February. Um, we have heard, though, that retail sales may be tapering off as food service um, numbers continue to improve. We saw uh, for quite a few loads show up in Chicago of butter. That pressured the market down some. We did lose eight cents for the week, down to 177. Uh, moving over to nonfat dry milk, we got some new uh, Import data out of China showing their appetites remained really strong in March. Uh, they imported 27% more uh, skim milk powder year over year, um, with their appetites for whole milk powder even stronger, up 63% year over year. We saw uh, out of the global dairy trade event on Tuesday, kind of relatively little change. Um, skim milk powder ticked down ever so slightly. Whole milk powder lifted just a tad. Uh, back at home, our spot nonfat prices saw a little more action. We actually saw prices rise to the highest levels since um, January of 2020. We closed the week at 125.25. That was a gain of 3.775 cents on the week. There seems to be plenty of product available, but contacts say it's moving as well. Um, and that me Mexico is in the mix. The strength of their pes peso seems to be giving them a little bit more uh, purchasing power, so that has been helpful. Finally, on whey, something we don't spend a lot of time talking about, um, but should mention that uh, data out of China there also very strong uh, imports of whey up 77% as they uh, work to continue to rebuild their hog herd. We actually saw sp uh, spot dry whey prices push past 70 cents early this week. Um, that was not a level we've ever seen since the spot market started trading for whey in 2018. We have seen that on the NDPSR print, but you'd have to reach back to 2007 to see those high of a levels. Um, though certainly the China import data, reports of tightening supply got markets kind of buzzing, uh, but Contax didn't think those prices were sustainable. And indeed, by weeks end, we did retreat back down to 62 cents, down five and a half cents. Obviously, obviously still a very solid price. Remember that every penny uh, gain in the way price uh, adds six cents to the class three price. Um, finally, also in the news and very much on our minds have been es escalating feed prices. Um, uh, corn futures rang, nearby corn futures rang the 650 bell this week. Um, 
certainly all eyes are on the new crop and so far plantings are running on schedule. Uh, corn planting uh, progress advanced 8% uh, this week. That was compared to 4% uh, the week before and 6% on average. Soybeans also running um, at about 3% in the ground versus 2% year prior. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. All right, well, we're here with WUDS board president, Devin Gialetti. And Devin, you're here just to kind of check in with us and talk to us about Earth Day and what WUDS been up to. And we just want to thank you for taking the time to be on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good times. Oh yeah, we're, we're a blaster <laughs> on here. <laughs> well, you know, we just, you know, Earth Day was just yesterday and we've seen so many positive messages on social media about, you know, what agriculture is doing to be sustainable. and we really did just want to have you on to kind of touch base on on what what is doing and what efforts we're making to play a part in that game. Yeah, I think one of the most important missions that Western has is reminding the public and our legislators about the positive benefits of, of dairying and, and ranching in, in California. Um, often they often hear just one side of it and <clears throat> there's a complete other side uh, that doesn't get told and that's the benefits that we have to the environment. One thing that I like to start talking about is our uh, methane reduction goals. Um, most of us know that we were uh, legislated to reduce our uh, dairy industry's methane reduction by 40% by the year 2030. And according to C CDFA, uh, not only have we met that goal, but we've vastly ex exceeded it. Um, right now, we're, we're measuring about a 57% methane reduction goal. Um, I believe that we're the only dairy farmers in the whole world regulated on methane emissions. And not only did we step up to the plate, but, but we exceeded that. And uh, in a large part, uh, thanks to the uh, AMP and the Dairy Digester Program, um, West United is lobbying very hard to uh, keep those programs going uh, at a high, the highest funding level we can possibly get. Uh, even though that we met our methane reduction goals, um, there's a lot of other environmental benefits that these programs have. Um, with the AMP program, uh, helping dairymen not only reduce methane, but, but export more manure, uh, more organic fertilizer off their farm uh, across more acres, helping them compost some of this manure to spread on permanent crops like almonds and uh, vegetables and wine grapes. Um, then the Dairy Digester you know, uh, program, obviously increasing the amount of uh, carbon neutral fuels for uh, uh, vehicles. So. Um, that's one way Western's helping, uh, helping uh, you know, put G, uh, reduce their GHG by putting it up in the pipeline. Um, another, another way that our uh, partners in the cattlemen's more so help uh, the environment is by grazing. Um, grazing up in the hills and these, in, we all seen these horrible forest fires that we've had uh, the past few years and grazing a lot of that low-lying brush, uh, helping thin some of that grass down, uh, helps keep these forest fires down. There is enough carbon emitted by these, by these fires last few years that it's, it's surpassed all of the reductions that California has made through all their environmental uh, uh, reduction programs. So uh, grazing is another great way that we help uh, California meet its goals and, and help uh, keep the earth clean. Um, another issue that we're working on is rendering. Um, as we know that when 
there's there's less and less uh, rendering capacity in the state. And uh, as these renderers are going out of business, um, is putting dairy farmers in in a pretty tight spot during during the summer when our when our mortalities increase. So we're actively engaged with the government uh, through CDFA and Cal Recycle and the governor's office to give dairymen another uh, option to deal with their mortalities in the summer. Um, we all know that when uh, the renderers can't come and pick up our mortalities, a lot of times uh, an emergency declaration is declared and a lot of these animals go to the landfill. And um, putting uh, organic material in the landfill uh, we all know what that creates, that creates methane. So one thing that Western is doing is we, we want to be able to compost these mortalities during times of emergency and uh, create an organic fertilizer that we can then broadcast on our fields and reduce our need for synthetic fertilizers. Um, that's a great way for, uh, for all of us to uh, meet our climate uh, goals. And speaking about keeping things out of the landfill, one thing that Western United is doing is making sure our, our legislators know about how much material we keep out of the landfills. We almost think it's, it's common knowledge uh, here on the dairy that people know about all the uh, byproducts that we feed our cows, but people in Sacramento and, and people in, uh, in San Francisco don't understand that's common practice. Um, they think by having a vegan or a, or a vegetarian diet that you know, they're, they're basically carbon neutral, but that's not. Uh, those type of diets create lots of byproducts. Um, we all know about the big ones like almond holes and cottonseed, but there's tons of other byproducts like uh, bakery waste from obviously bakeries, uh, tomato pumice, uh, cannery waste from, from canneries, uh, distillers grains, uh, uh, brewers grains. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of byproducts that, um, that we feed and keep a lot of that material out of the landfill. And not only are we doing that, but we're converting that into a, a high nutritional value food product with the milk and beef. So it's... A lot of these messages are just so common sense to us that uh, we almost forget to, to get to tell these people about, about what we're doing. So um, those are just a few things that we're doing. There's, there's a whole host of others. Well, thanks, Devin. I think it's, it's great to see all the Earth Day posts and it's great to see what the industry as a whole is doing, but it is nice to kind of break it down by our organization and really take a look at that the little individual key pieces that affect so many different types of operations and continue to help us be sustainable. So thanks for breaking that down for us. No problem. Um, it's just important that we, we have to, you know, we have to remind people what we do because we, you know, we, we think it's common sense, but the people are so far removed from, from what we do and what, what agriculture is all about that uh, when we tell them, they're, they're, they're surprised. So it's all about communication and, and we have a good story to tell and we just need to make sure that we're telling it. I agree. And I think we hopefully get better and better at telling our story, but you do bring up such a good point. You know, Melissa and I get on, we talk every week and we share all these messages with each other, but we do forget things that seem so common sense to us are just not something that's even in the sphere of a consumer's mindset. So I think it's good to share that as we go forward. Cool. Well, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Thanks for being on. <laughs> Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, 
or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at YosemiteFarmCredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. This week uh, on our podcast, we have uh, Dr. Frank owner with UC Davis, uh, talking to us about um, greenhouse gases, climate change, and uh, the role of agriculture in that. Um, I think many of us have heard Frank speak. Um, he brings an element of uh, fact to a lot of the fiction that's going on out in the media regarding climate change and uh, the role of agriculture and specifically animal agriculture and animal proteins in the diet. And uh, so I'd like to welcome Frank to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mitloner, for joining us this morning. Thank you, Paul, for having me. So uh, a lot's been going on uh, in this area. You know, climate change is uh, very important. Um, you know, a lot of people are engaged in it. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, the picture of uh, what can an individual do, myself, uh, you know, at home with my family, what are important things that I can do um, to help solve the climate change issue? Uh, and there was a report a few years ago, uh, Livestock's Long Shadow, uh, which pointed out that the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions was uh, animal agriculture around the globe. And, uh, you know, so if I'm a consumer sitting at home and I'm watching a news story, uh, I might think, wow, you know, I need to cut back on that steak or that burger uh, or that milk. That, that's how I'm going to contribute to climate change. But I know you were really involved in that and um, wondering if you could kind of, um, you know, clarify for us. Um, what happened with that report and your engagement with that report and, and what did you find? Yeah, so a lot of confusion came about as a, as a result of that report, Livestock's Long Shadow. Uh, it was published back in 2006, so you, you might think, well, that's a really old report and who cares, but uh, it has actually uh, opened the floodgates to a lot of uh, poor reporting out there. Um, the report itself was actually not bad, um, but it had one sentence in its executive summary. And in that sentence, it said that the livestock sector is responsible for 18, that's one eight, 18% of all greenhouse gases. And then it went on as saying, and that's a larger share than transportation. So, uh, and that's where I had the beef uh, with uh, this report because it is really not true that livestock has a greater share than transportation with respect to greenhouse gases. Um, the authors of that report made a mistake, which was they used one methodology for livestock with a very detailed so-called life cycle assessment, but for transportation, they only looked tail at, at tailpipe emissions, so-called direct emissions. And that was a clear apples to oranges comparison that I critique even publicly. And the authors retracted that assertion that livestock is more uh, greenhouse gas emitting than transportation as a result. But uh, the horse had left the barn and uh, many, many um, activists and even reporters gloomed onto that and have continued to use it even up until today. And um, that is really troubling because we know what the current contributions are of livestock globally. All livestock, and I re-emphasize re globally, contribute to 14, that's one four, 14, 0.5% of all greenhouse gases. But um, in the United States, the picture is different. So for example, here in the United States, beef contributes to 3%, dairy contributes to 2% of greenhouse gases. And we know this because we've done very detailed so-called life cycle assessments here in our country. And uh, so 
these are life cycle numbers, the best numbers out there and peer reviewed, published and so on. Uh, the EPA actually says that life source contribution is lower than that. The EPA says it's around um, less than 4% in total. Uh, when the industry did research, we came out with a little bit higher numbers, but it's anywhere between 4 and 5%, not more than that. So just to give you an idea, the three main contributors to greenhouse gases are all fossil fuel users and producers, and um, that includes the transportation sector, power production and use, and the so-called cement industry. These three emit 80% of all greenhouse gases. So if you ask, what can I do? First of all, you personally cannot do very much because uh, even if all of us, the 320 million Americans were to change our personal lives to some extent, uh, we would not cause major changes to greenhouse gases. The main, the main contributors to greenhouse gases in the United States are a couple dozen large companies and entities. And, uh, and they actually emit the vast majority. You saw this during COVID-19, the lockdown. Um, you saw what happened when, uh, when all of a sudden everybody had to stay home. We didn't go to work. We didn't go do the, the normal things we do. And uh, life changed drastically. And um, that was mainly a result of the airline industries. Uh, they, they had to stop and um, industries had to stop. And you know, all of a sudden, all different kinds of industries that are mega polluters had to stop. And CO2 emissions went down. Our cows did not go down. They continued to belch and do whatever they do. Um, they did not take a break, as we all know. Um, I can tell you one thing for sure, and that is it's not agriculture that's causing the majority of greenhouse gases. It is particularly the fossil fuel sector, and we have to be honest about it. And that's not to say that we don't have a contribution. We do have one. We know what it is. On the dairy side, it's 2%. And what I find is really important is not just have we quantified this, but we are on a path to achieve further reductions. And reductions, particularly in methane, lead to actual cooling impacts. And that is amazing. The industry has an amazing success story to tell, particularly here in California. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, since 1383, uh, SB 1383 passed by the state legislature, um, mandating a 40% reduction in manure methane emissions. Uh, you know, I've been in this industry a long time. Uh, my whole life and to see this industry change the way it has the uh, the emission reductions we have achieved since 2015 are truly monumental um, you know a lot of that came with incentives uh, through CDFA and the digester research and development program and the alternative manure management program um, but you know we are making great strides I think it's important to um, you know see that piece of the pie as you described earlier you know where does agriculture fit and then that we are uh, achieving, you know, emission reductions in our industry, greenhouse gas emission reductions. So, you know, you know, Paul, I'm glad you mentioned this. Uh, in the state of California, our state agencies have already certified a 25% reduction, a 25% reduction of methane that has already been achieved. So we're over halfway on our path to that 40% reduction goal. And that is truly outstanding. And I want to say one more thing along those lines. If you reduce methane, because it's a short-lived climate pollutant, if you reduce methane, you're actively pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. You're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. That's as, as effective as actively sucking CO2 out of the air. 
By reducing methane, we are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and that actually has a net cooling effect. So our dairy industry, our beef industry can counteract some of the fossil fuel related greenhouse gases. This is a narrative not many people have heard, but it's one that's very important. So I have a you know, question. Just speaking okay. of um, you know narratives, not many people have heard, and I really appreciate that you mentioned the COVID nineteen situation, where when we all stayed home, we saw vast improvements to air quality because cars weren't on the road and airplanes weren't in the air and certain industries weren't working. And I I saw a lot of little memes on you know Instagram and Twitter of you know all the cows are still here, but the airplanes aren't, and we're doing better. The problem is a lot of that stuff, all those messages and all those narratives seem to be in our own echo chamber. How, and can you share a little bit about what you and your organization, the Clear Center at UC Davis are doing to get the word out there to a broader audience? All this good, there's tons of good news, um, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, leaving our kind of circle, I would say. I would agree. I, I and maybe you can start by defining the Clear Center and talking more about that. I, I was going to ask that same question, but maybe you can talk about the Clear Center and, and you know, a little bit of background on that. Yeah, Melissa, I, I share your frustration because uh, people in agriculture oftentimes uh, speak to their own echo chamber, okay? And uh, I really got tired of this. And so uh, two years ago, I uh, decided I had to do something about this. And uh, while I'm a professor and air quality specialist here at UC Davis and reach undergraduate students and some producers like you and so on, I wanted to make sure that it doesn't stop there, okay? Because uh, we, need to read, we need to reach the public at large. We need to reach journalists and politicians, and we need to reach you know, influencers out there. Definitely. We need to reach AOC, Congresswoman from the Bronx, and so on. And so I decided to establish a center on campus at UC Davis called the CLEAR Center. And the CLEAR Center is a center dedicated to doing research in agricultural sustainability. One, so research. And the second part, the second half, equally important is communication. So I have hired full-blown journalists to work with me. And that's very important because they speak the same language as those people writing all these articles and making those TV shows and so on. So now I really have not just myself as a voice, but I have a, um, a center behind me uh, consisting of professionals who can do top-level research and then communicate that in ways the public understands. So we, we don't just use language that farmers understand, like feed efficiency, for example, is, an ex is, is a great example. Every dairy farmer will understand what feed efficiency means, but nobody in the public will understand it. Right. However, they understand what fuel efficiency means very well. So if you just uh, work with a couple of communication experts, then they can translate what you want to say into ways that the public understands. And we have not done a good job in the past. We have to tell ourselves, um, we have to have a reality check here, which mm -hmm. is uh, while we understand what's going on, while we understand and internally communicate well, we have not taken the public along with us. Okay? And this is oftentimes falling on our feet now. And uh, I think the, the more honest we are about that with ourselves, the better it is. We have some catching up to do. And then once we're done with the catch up, then we have to lead then we have to lead. So I am actively discussing things with AOC in the Bronx. I am discussing things with the FAO in Rome, the Food and Agriculture Organization. I am discussing stuff with journalists and politicians in the California legislature, in the, in the, 
in the Washington legislature. But I'm also, of course, uh, daily communicating with farmers and with people in agriculture. Uh, but I don't leave anybody behind. I'm also discussing stuff with environmentalists. There are some activists out there uh, that want to be argumentative and that want to be, um, sometimes they are inappropriate and they are super aggressive. And this is the only group I totally leave, leave out, okay? I will not deal with activists who have zero interest in a, uh, in a fruitful discussion. Um, they are the only ones I totally ignore. And if they are inappropriate, I block them. So I now have a Twitter account. You know, okay? A year ago, I yeah. thought I would never be on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> I would never be on Twitter. I thought it was a total waste of time to write something that is 280 characters long. But you know what? Now I have 3 million impressions a month and you show me what other, what other um, media or so I could use to have that kind of a, an impact. You know, in the past, I wrote newsletters. And if I reached 100 or 200 producers, I, was, I thought I did a great job. Yeah. Now I feel like, oh, my gosh, I can reach hundreds of thousands of people. I wrote a tweet yesterday, a so-called thread, which is a, a, like a lineup of tweets on Twitter about a UN statement that came out yesterday, which said, hey, world, stop eating meat or reduce eating meat. Um, and then I wrote this, this long tweet thread or Twitter thread. And after 12 hours, 120,000 people had read it. After 12 hours, 120,000 people had read it. I want to tell, to you, I want to tell you producers, Paul, that uh, I know many of them are not on social media. They don't really like, to, like it and so on. They think it's a waste of time. You know what? If you want to sell products to the public, and if the public has in, an interest in how that product is produced, and you choose not to talk about it, know this. Somebody else will talk about it. And these other people who talk about your product are not always your friends. In fact, oftentimes, they are the ones who actually want to stop your legacy, okay? So you have to choose uh, whether or not you engage in discussing stuff with the public. If you don't want to do it yourself, find somebody who does. I have seen some really good young dairymen who do a kick-ass job on social media yeah. with 40,000, 50,000 followers. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that is the important thing is, uh, you know, getting out there, not talking amongst ourselves uh, the way Melissa was saying. And it's about influencing, uh, you know, the 300 or so million Americans and, and having them understand this because the media um, is a lot of times pushing the other direction and there's others that are pushing that. Uh, I think a good example of this misinformation uh, and a recent example is the Burger King ads. Uh, I know you were engaged in that also. Um, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about that, but this just seems to you know, and keep going. And I agree with you. I think it's got the basis starting in Livestock's Long Shadow. That was a long time ago, but it kind of got this conversation going. And we see that you know, even right now, uh, in, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, we had a recent incident. And if you could tell us you know, uh, what that was about and your engagement in that. So one morning I woke up and my Twitter account was on fire. Um, I was sent a video that was produced by Burger King, uh, just a little two-minute um, video with a boy, with a yodeling boy singing a methane song. And then the whole thing was framed in a way that cows fart and farts uh, generate greenhouse gases and 
they try to uh, be funny about it. Um, they depicted farmers uh, in a way that I think most people would have a, a beef with, particularly in the industry. Um, and, um, and some of the stuff that they presented was just either premature because the research data they shared had not been published yet, um, or it was inconclusive. And, um, and so I, I was critical about it also on, on Twitter and, um, and then was contacted by Burger King and uh, shared my frustration and my critique with them. And, uh, and then I saw how things changed, both on the online version and, um, and this Yodel video did not make it on TV. And I have no idea what my, what my contribution to that was, but what I do know is that I was quite critical. I wrote a blog about that the blog that I wrote was then made into an op-ed and uh, that went out in civil eats, had lots and lots of readers. And um, I, I feel that it's my role as a, um, as a scientist, scientist and as an educator uh, to not sit on my hands when stuff like this comes out. Now you can imagine that I get a lot of flack from entities that, um, they want to put this out and they feel it's funny, it's good and it's promotional and so on. But I feel it is also my role and foremost my role to get them back on a path of, um, of uh, science-based information and uh, particularly if they strive to affect public policy. So they promoted the use of lemongrass to reduce enteric methane, which is the belt methane. And, uh, and now everybody's asking our farmers to buy lemongrass and feed it. And that's really premature because we have done a lot of research on many different feed additives, lemongrass not being one of them. Uh, it's in, in the very early stages of, of investigation. And so it's, it's premature to be out there and tell the world, now everybody feed lemongrass to uh, reduce the impact of a burger by a third. You know, that's um, one of those examples. So that's not to say that I don't have um, some praise for them, I do. Because Burger King, for example, said, uh, we do want to help our farmers to reduce enteric emissions. That's a good thing. I applaud them for that. And I have told Burger King that, that this is a good thing. In my opinion, uh, the way they communicated it was not good, but the fact that they're doing it is good. And so uh, it is possible. And I have been asked to work with them uh, on research and communications in the future. And I would do that because I think that if we were to work with some of those really large uh, companies like Cargill, Tyson, Burger King, McDonald's, and so on, uh, if we do, then we really move the needle because they have such a significant segment um, within the food sector that uh, if, if they make changes, it has a major impact overall. So um, I, I will work uh, with them like I will with any one of your producers here in the Sauerkin Valley. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate your engagement on that and getting, you know, the, the real story out there um, and, you know, engaging uh, Burger King in a positive way. Uh, you know, I like the way you said that, that, um, you know, the, the, their intent was good, the message was bad. And so how do we correct the message, uh, you know, move forward with that intent? I, I really appreciate that way of engaging. Um, can you let us know, um, you know, what you're working on, what your plans uh, for the future 
uh, and a little bit more about how our dairy farmers can engage with you. You mentioned that a little bit, but so what, what are you working on? What's, uh, what can we expect to see from you in the next year or two? Or are you, you know, changing direction, anything happening there that you can share with us? So I have one really major project right now, and that project is called Rethinking Methane. Um, and that Rethinking Methane has everything to do with um, redefining, redefining how we evaluate methane and the significance of methane. Methane is a, a potent greenhouse gas, we all know that, but there are some nuances around methane that have been left out in the past, and they are very important to be considered. Uh, because if you do consider them, then you will find that our farmers, if they manage to reduce methane, will be a very important solution provider in the carbon discussion. Because pulling methane out, I already told you, has an immediate cooling effect. And so our farmers can actually uh, provide a very important service to society on climates, on the climate side of things if they continue to uh, do as good a job as they have been, which is uh, in reducing methane. Um, but the, the former narrative will not give them that credit. The future narrative, which I'm pushing very hard for with the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, IPCC, and with the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations in Rome, um, this new narrative will change the way that methane, the change the way it will change the way dairies and beef operations and so on will be perceived in the in the climate realm. So this is a very important project I do. It's called Rethinking Methane. I just released a video uh, maybe two weeks ago. It's on YouTube. It's titled Rethinking Methane. I encourage your your members to to watch it. It's only five minutes, but it explains what I'm talking about here. Um, we are writing articles on this. We are writing peer-reviewed articles on this. I think this is an extremely important game-changing uh, game changing project. Um, I do also work with the state of California with the Air Resources Board, the California Air Resources Board, and most recently now also with the California Energy Commission to monitor um, greenhouse gas emissions from commercial dairies before and after alternative manure management practices and or digesters have been installed so that we know what the effectiveness is of using these techniques and technologies to reduce greenhouse gases further. Because that's really important. Because if you do something that's good for the environment, then you need to be able to quantify how good it is. Because otherwise you can't get credits for it. If you just say I'm a good driver, uh, but you can't quantify why you are a good driver, well, then it's just you saying you are a good driver. But if you, can, if you can somehow quantify that you're a good driver, well, then maybe your insurance company gives you a break or so. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, if a, if a dairyman says, you know, we do the best we can and we are best stewards of the land and so on, then uh, many people out there will say, that's just a PR line. Okay, we don't believe that. We think, uh, we think animals are uh, not treated well and the environment is not taken into consideration, blah, blah, blah. They, they go on and on with their criticism. If you as a, as a dairy industry really want to make inroads on this and uh, get credit for the stuff you do, then it has to be quantified. If you can't show it, if you can't prove it, then it's not happening in the eyes of those who are critical of you. So anyhow, uh, doing several large studies on commercial dairies, um, also doing studies here on campus with the so-called bovine bubbles, large structures I've built years ago, 
to quantify the uh, emission reductions that are possible. Done some very large beef studies here on campus um, with companies that have developed technologies, feed additives, that you can feed to animals to reduce, for example, ammonia or methane. And these uh, trials have resulted in FDA-approved feed additives. My facility here on campus is the only one in the United States that allows for group housing of bovines, of cattle, um, comparing uh, relative reductions of gaseous emissions. And so that's a, that's a big deal for us to have that. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, seen a lot of your work and really appreciate it. I think we do have a good story to tell. We have made tremendous methane emission reductions in the industry, uh, even just in the last five years. I really am amazed uh, at how far this industry has moved. Uh, but yeah, quantifying that, uh, so we've got actual numbers and then broadcasting that out. And I appreciate your role in both of those and actually the on-farm you know, research uh, and the research at UC Davis to quantify those things. And then uh, with the Clear Center to uh, you know, put that out there and correct some of these misunderstandings. Definitely. So I really appreciate anything else, Melissa, uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely link your YouTube videos in our in our show notes, just so our members can check that out directly. And just thanks so much for not only appearing today on the podcast, Dr. Mitloner, but for being such a good partner um, of our industry and our organization. And just if there's anything Dairyman can do to contribute to your research, please don't hesitate to reach out and please know that you're always welcome if you have anything you'd like to share with producers, you know, both on our show and we're happy to, um, you know, send out information in our newsletters and via email, but it's just such important work that we're doing and, and I think you're right, just, just like Burger King had really good intentions by funding this study, just the fact that we're, you know, willing and, and so it, a lot of dairy producers are really excited to work on these issues. It's just, getting the good message out there that's sort of the stopping point for us. Yeah, maybe I just leave you with some um, contact information. So uh, the CLEAR Center that I'm directing uh, is on the web, has a web address, which is clear.ucdavis.edu. Uh, I am on Twitter, as I said before, and my Twitter handle is GHG, that stands for Greenhouse Gas, GHG Guru. And uh, you will find a lot of very active discussions going on uh, on that on that Twitter. Um, and uh, I encourage you, if you're not on Twitter, to be on Twitter seriously, because you will find a lot of your of your peers there, and um, a lot of really condensed information that uh, might be in areas that you are interested in that you get uh, you know free of charge, and uh, you become a part of a larger network. And I think it's, it's really good. It's, it's really good. It's not a waste of your time. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and please know that I'm always happy to, uh, to work with you on educating both your producers and learning uh, from your producers myself. Um, you know, visit farms and, and bringing people who want to know more about dairying onto commercial farms and explaining environmental stuff to those uh, individuals. Um, this is really important, and, uh, and I'm a very happy partner along those lines. Definitely. We, I think we have a lot of really good things going, and, and showing that off and getting people who wouldn't typically come to the farm and, and take in that information out to farms is probably one of the most important pieces to that puzzle. So. Let me tell you one last thing. Uh, before COVID-19 broke, I was invited to come to Ireland, the country of Ireland and talk to the Irish uh, Farmers Association and the Irish government about methane. 
the rethinking methane project. I had done this in New Zealand and in Ireland. And I told them um, how far we have come in California, particularly the, the dairy industry story. They could not believe what they heard. They could not believe what they heard. And they did a very concerted effort to understand what it is with our M program, our digester program, uh, how the industry work with the state, the incentive programs and so on. Uh, and they are viewing us as a global role model, okay? The world is viewing us, our dairy industry in particular, as a role model. Uh, we are too close to that. We don't see that, okay? We just don't see it, but we are that. It's time for us to, uh, you know, to get this not just out, but also to benefit from it mm -hmm. and, and uh, work with others who want to uh, follow our lead. We are a leader in the world. There's no question about that. You are a leader in the world, and there's no question about that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mitloner. We really appreciate your time. And, and every, every time I ha have a discussion with you or hear you speak, I come away with more good information to share with friends and family and, and anybody that will listen, really. So thank you so much. Very good. You're, you're we appreciate all the work you do. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. All right, well, as we wrap up our episode, we want to give a huge thank you to our economist, Tiffany Lamandola, like we do every week for sharing this week's market update. We also want to thank our board president, Devin Gialetti, for taking time to be on with us, and Dr. Mitloner for his participation last fall. Remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests at wud.pod at gmail.com. If you want to reach Melissa, you can email her at mlema at wudairies.com, and I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great week, and happy Earth Week, everyone. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.